everyone, and welcome to episode 199 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we've got a small crew this week. I'm joined by Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? Uh, not much. Excited to talk some magic. So this week, we have some kind of scattered topics. Topic number one is full set of Ultimate Masters has been revealed, so we're going to talk a little bit about the set, uh, probably the EV of the set, kind of the big picture stuff. You've probably already heard about the individual cards by now, so not really spoilers, but more the set from a meta perspective. Also wanted to mention some artist news. There is a artist boycott that is being organized from GPs, so we wanted to mention that as well. And then also, also, uh, we had a BNR announcement today, so not much to see there, but we did want to mention it. So those are our main topics, and then wrapping up with fish mail, of course. But before we jump into it, a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com, the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. And they have some really cool online courses by great players like PVDDR and also Reduke. So you can join the academy today over at SpikesAcademy.com and get 10% off with the coupon code GOLDFISH. Also, you can learn more at Spikes underscore Academy over on Twitter. So thank you so much to Spikes Academy for their support. And with that out of the way, let's talk some Ultimate Masters. So Richard, we got the full set. It was kind of a weird and rocky spoiler season uh, based on the community's feedback and the way the spoilers came out. But now that we see the full picture... What do you think about this set? There's a lot of value in the set. So I, I remember the community, I don't know, my opinion, the community perspective has changed. When it first came out, everyone was memeing about, oh my God, $335 uh, MSRP, box toppers, ridiculous prices. But then we got, you know, we got all the mythics. They were good. And then we got all the rares and the uncommons and the commons. And they were all pretty good. And I think everyone is like, wow, this is crazy. It's not that bad, and people like it, dare I say? I, I don't know. It, it feels like the opinion has reversed around uh, due to kind of all of the high inclusion, uh, high-value inclusions, and it is Ultimate Masters. It lives up to the name. We had Iconic Masters, and we're like, really? Is this iconic? And now we have Ultimate Masters, and it really does feel like it is the Ultimate Master set, and, the you know... It is a good one to finish off on, because this is going to be the last master set for a while. Yeah, the set, by the numbers, is very solid. Like, the EV, you're looking at, depending on exactly how you count everything, somewhere around $400 a box, assuming you're buying a sealed box and getting the ultimate box stopper, which is really solid, even with the MSRP increase. I think the other thing people have realized is, MSRP just doesn't matter that much. Boxes right now are... 285 ish on eBay. So it's gone up a little bit. It was as low as 265 not that long ago. So it has climbed a little bit, but it's still like 50 bucks below the actual MSRP of the set. The mixed reaction, I feel like it's still going on a little bit. There are some people that just really feel like they are priced out of the set because of the MSRP increase. And I'm sure that's true to some extent. I can't imagine there's a huge segment of the market that was okay with paying 240 for a master set, but not okay with paying $335 MSRP, especially if the value's in the set. So I'm not sure if it's mostly just people complaining because price increases feel bad rather than people actually not buying a box because of it. Because from all I can tell, uh, the set is going to sell really well just because it has so much value in it. So uh, the other thing is, what are you expecting for modern, Richard? I know one of the things that uh, has kind of happened with master sets is the move away from modern masters into these theme mastered. And obviously, ultimate is a pretty loose theme. You can kind of put anything you want uh, under the ultimate masters heading. But it seems like Wizards really nailed it as far as printing almost all of the expensive, important cards for modern in this set. Is it too early for Salty Richard to come out? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not Christmas yet. The Grinch is showing up. I, I think <laughs> this will do nothing to modern prices and po unpopular opinion. But what what usually happens is you know whatever's printed in the set will will drop like a rock, right? And if you need those cards. That's great, right? It's a perfect time to pick them up and you're going to get them at a steep, steep discount. However, what happens is some random garbage card in your deck that was printed 10 years ago and not reprinted ever again is going <laughs> to skyrocket through the roof 
and then your deck ends up costing about the same, right? So if you if you did this correctly, right? If you identified those cards, right? And what what have these cards been? Uh, I guess currently it's Manamorphose, right? Uh, looking at Jund, I know Jund, you know, Blackleaf Cliffs, you know, it's just a random card that just skyrocketed in price. And, you know, if you look at, say, Mox Opal, things, things like this, right? These cards, if you identified a while ago and bought them when they're cheap, and then waited until now and bought, you know, the cards at Ultimate Masters when they're cheap, then yes, your modern price, you got at a huge, or your modern deck, you got at a huge, huge discount. However, if you wait until, say, next week or a month from now when the set is released and you're like, oh, I want to buy this deck, I feel the price is going to be somewhat the same because, you know, your random old cards are going to spike up, these new cards will go down, and then the net is modern costs roughly the same. So Seth, you did all the numbers. You're writing an article on decks. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm just being salty and jaded <laughs> and a modern hater. Uh, so I, you're not wrong. <laughs> I think oh, you're not completely wrong. What the process you're describing is very true. We actually had a pretty good example of that with Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle. They reprinted Scapeshift, and then Valakut just doubled in price because Scapeshift was so much cheaper. So we see this happening a lot, although normally the amount of the increase from the other cards usually isn't quite enough to offset the losses by the reprinted cards. So I do think that decks will be cheaper, especially decks that had two or three big cards reprinted in Ultimate Masters. So I think we will see an impact on decks being cheaper, but at the same time, the discount isn't going to be as cheap as you might think. When you see uh, whatever card, Engineered Explosives, go from $80 down to $30, or Liliana go from $80 or $90 down to $50 or $40, you're not getting as big of a discount as you would think when you see the huge declines of the reprinted cards, because you probably will have to pay a little bit more for the other stuff. Although, I've been looking at prices pretty consistently recently, and apart from, we saw Surgical Extraction increase, Manamorphose has increased, increase. Thing in the Ice, I don't think that's really related to the reprints. That's just a card that's seeing more play now has increased. But I feel like if you are quick and you know what deck you want, like look over the spoilers for Ultimate Masters, make the assumption that cards are still going to trend down even from where they are right now because the EV is still so high and try to pick up the pieces of the the deck that haven't been reprinted as quickly as possible, and then wait and fill out your deck in another month or two once the Ultimate Masters cards are at their floor. So I feel like if you're quick, you can avoid the most painful part of building a modern deck, which is going to be those price increases, but you're very right. If you just wait two or three months and you're like, all right, this is the time to get my Ultimate Masters cards, I'll buy whatever modern deck I feel like, you are going to pay more for the cards that weren't reprinted. Yeah, And, and to be clear... It's still good that these things are reprinted, right? Uh, you know, you do have the opportunity to try to take advantage of these price swings, but, uh, certain cards are cheaper and, and that's good, right? Like if you've been waiting to buy a Tarmogoyf or whatever, this will probably be like the lowest, uh, it's gonna be for a while because Tarmogoyf sucks and now it's being reprinted. So it's like the perfect storm to get cheap Tarmogoyfs. And then you kind of hope, uh, that Tarmogoyf goes back up in the future. Which it usually does, right? Or like Dark Confidants, like these, these random cards that are, um, wait, is Dark Confidant even in the set? There is no Dark Confidant in this one somehow. <laughs> ignore, <laughs> ignore everything I'm saying. I'm just smoking the Jund pipe this morning. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I, I still think even though I, I think, you know, modern prices will drop slightly and I think it's good that we reprint these. So I actually really like Ultimate Masters overall, even though I went on my jaded rant. It, it's still a good product, right? Uh, I, I just don't. I just don't want to spend this much money. I just, I just don't like how expensive magic cards are in general, but that's like a different topic, right? Given how expensive they are today, uh, it's good that we're reprinting them and it's good that you do have a chance to get some of these older cards, uh, at a discount temporarily. And I, I honestly think that after a couple of very lackluster and disappointing master sets over the past year, I really feel like Wizards nailed it with this one. Like, this is living up to its Ultimate Master's name, and the value is there. 
I still think the MSRP increase is, I understand that criticism and how that's kind of frustrating for players, especially because it just reminds everyone of how expensive Magic is in general and reserveless buyouts and deck prices. And it kind of feeds into a, a whole bunch of other topics and is maybe like the last straw for some people seeing this price increase. So I definitely can sympathize with that perspective, but I do feel like this set is great. And we haven't even really talked about how awesome it is just for casual decks. Like, some of the biggest decreases we've seen are cards that I imagine you want in your collection to play random commander decks or even casual decks like Eldrazi Conscriptions and Gambles and Woodfall Primuses. And these are legitimate commander staples that are already like 75% less or something than they were before. And those type of cards are the cards that are probably going to stay cheap for a long time. So I think even discounting the impact on buying a tier one tournament deck for modern, you're going to be able to get a lot of really playable cards for a really big discount, even if you just want to build on your kitchen table or tune up your commander decks or whatever. So so here's an interesting MTG Finance question, Seth. Given that the set is releasing so close uh, to Black Friday, right, which just happened, today is actually Cyber Monday, uh, a lot of people got these boxes and these cards at a discount. How does that long-term effect, right? If everyone is used to not paying, so we're not even paying MSRP, right? We're paying less than MSRP. Last week, boxes were about like 260, 280-ish. And then uh, if you managed to tack on uh, some of these promotions like on eBay and whatnot, you could have got the box down to like 230. So what does that mean for long-term prices if everyone bought a lot of these boxes at that price uh, and other miscellaneous Black Friday deals? So I think long-term, I don't really think it has any meaningful impact because uh, with a master set in specific, there's a limit on how many that are going to be printed. It's a limited supply product, so uh, it either sells out or it doesn't sell out. So it doesn't really, as far as the supply of these cards, the singles out in the marketplace, uh, it's basically just going to be all of them, no matter what price people paid for their boxes. So I think long-term, that isn't going to have any meaningful impact, as opposed to, like, if it happened with a standard set, and all of a sudden you could buy Gills of Ravnica for $50 or something, it and Wizards is kind of printing it to demand, then we could see those cards be way more plentiful, which would drive down prices of singles. But I don't think it actually matters when it comes to master sets. All right. I have a question for you, though, Richard. We know this is the last master set, and we feel like... Uh, I think we both agree. It's a good, it's at least a good master set and maybe a great master set. What are you thinking is going to happen for the future? Like, are, are you scared about uh, these cards a year or two or three down the road? Do you think there will be another product specifically for reprinting cards in the modern format? What are we going to do for modern reprints now that this series has ended? They're going to happen. Uh, whether it be something super lame like modern grandmasters, like, oh, hey guys, it's not a master. <laughs> set mega mega masters right I, I don't know but i i think more realistically we're gonna get conspiracy or battle bond for specific formats where uh there, there'll be like 10 new cards for that specific format and then the rest are reprints and technically not a master set but basically the same thing right it's a way for them to reprint modern staples and something that we've all been clamoring for a way to directly inject new modern cards into modern without having to go through standard so i think that's the route they're gonna go uh but 100 percent guaranteed next year there'll be some product that is like 70% plus reprints. Like they're gonna do it. They, they just, they're sitting on so much money and gold here that they have to reprint these cards and they will do it. Whether it's a lame grandmaster set or a conspiracy type set, I think it's gonna be conspiracy. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. They have to keep reprinting these cards. They make too much money off these sets to just stop reprinting them. And it's important for players. So I don't think that the community should necessarily be worried about the end of master sets. It's so profitable for Wizards that they are going to find a way to keep reprinting those cards. There's, like, no cost to them. They don't have to 
design these cars or even test these cars as far as reprints are concerned. They just like put them on cardboard, maybe change the art and make a ton of money. So I expect that we will still see reprints. The conspiracy idea is interesting because conspiracy has traditionally been a normal price set. So maybe the community would be even happier to see $4 packs with reprints and a mixture of new cards. Maybe like maybe that's a good thing for everyone moving forward. I'd like to see them move away from premium products. I mean, if we truly were to believe wizards and all pieces of cardboard are created equal and, (laughs) you know, like, like, why do they just charge more for like these Lilianos, right? And we all know they're acknowledging the secondary market and they're not saying so, but if we all know it, like, doesn't everyone else know it as well? Like, I I don't understand how this dance even works, but I, I would just like to see modern cards in normally priced packs, right? So that, you know, when grandma's going out for your birthday and has a $100 budget to spend on you, they can actually pick up the booster box of whatever set this is instead of, uh, you know, being priced out of Ultimate Masters and then instead buying you four, I don't know, Guilds of Ravnica starter decks, right? <laughs> like, that that's what's good. That's like the weird thing that happens to this. So I, I hope that their future sets are priced normally and that they don't have this this premium pricing model. I think that they I think that that's likely. Although I also think Wizards knows enough about managing their reprint equity that I wouldn't expect to see a list similar to Ultimate Masters with just so much value stuffed into a $4 pack. So I'm expecting that we will see a cutback on the reprints. And instead of having a ton of expensive cards in the set, having a handful of reprints. So it'll be interesting to see the reaction. Like, are people going to be happy because the chaps, uh, the packs are cheaper? Or are people going to be upset because we're not seeing a list of like the 10 most expensive cards in modern all reprinted in the same set? Like we are seeing with some of the uh, master sets like ultimate masters so speaking of reprints uh we we got we we had all the mythics we got all the rares this week what are some notable exclusions from ultimate masters uh the number one biggest one is mox opal mox opal is a card that is already ridiculously expensive and is only going to get more expensive. So I'm not sure what Wizards plan is with that. That's going to be a $150 card, I think, pretty easily in the near future since it's not getting reprinted. So I think that's the one that sticks out the most. There's also like a pretty long list I've seen of kind of commons and uncommons. It would be fine to reprint in the set, but I feel like overall they did a decent job with reprinting the commons and uncommons in the set. Uh, what else sticks out to you, Richard? What else? Was there anything you were really hoping for that didn't show up in the set? I think Mox Opal is the biggest one because Mox Opal is already pretty expensive, but people are taking this as an indication that Mox Opal may not be longed for the future, that the fact that they didn't include this, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't know. Dark Confidant is not in a good spot right now. Does it need to be reprinted? He was missing. I think he's a face of black cards. If you look over the the cards that are most expensive in the modern format. Mox Opal's a big one. The other big ones that weren't reprinted, uh, Jason Mine Sculptor is one, Horizon Canopy is one, although those were printed in Master sets in the past year. Iconic Masters, 25th Masters, the Fetchlands, I guess, stick out, are creeping back up in price, although even Modern Masters 2017, that's less than two years ago that came out, they were reprinted. So really, I feel like they hit it pretty well. Dark Confidant, you mentioned, that's a big one. Maybe some random side board cards like Leyline of the Void is $50 now, Black Cleave Cliffs you mentioned earlier, Arcbound Ravager, but really looking over the list of the most expensive cards in the modern format, a huge percentage have been reprinted since Modern Masters 2017. Like in the last two years, a really high percentage have been reprinted. And while some have climbed back up in price, even the ones that are getting expensive again, uh, Scalding Tarns, for example, the other Fetchlands, Horizon Canopy, those are cards that if you got them six months ago, a year ago, you were getting for $30 instead of $70 or whatever. So I feel like there isn't a whole lot more that Wizards could have done. And uh, Mox Opal's a big one. Hopefully there's a promo. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a banning could happen. But something's going to have to happen with Mox Opal because that card is going to be absurdly expensive. Like, if you need them to play a deck, you want to play Affinity or Hardened Scales or whatever, I would, even at $100, which they are right now, I would probably get them uh, before they go up because it seems like the most obvious price increase out of uh, the cards not reprinted. Artifact Masters. 
Oh wait, Artifact <laughs> Grandmaster is coming next year. <laughs> All right. So, any other Ultimate Masters thoughts before we move on? How many boxes are you gonna buy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I really messed that up. I did. I had them in my cart for like $165, and there was a coupon that they were $230, and I was like, I'm going to wait until Black Friday or Cyber Monday. There's going to be an even better deal. And then box prices jumped like $20 or $25, and uh, so I was going to buy a case. I had it in my cart, but didn't pull the trigger soon enough, so now I don't know what I'm going to do. Are you going to get any, Richard? I was actually on Black Friday when they had the deal on eBay. I was actually checking on eBay, and those things were going fast. Like, I, I refresh, and then, like, the top vendor is already sold out. I refresh, and they're being sold out. So, people are scooping this thing up. I don't know if... I just want Tarmogoyce. I think I'm going to do what I normally do, the plain old buy singles. <laughs> like, the, the 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 advice we give to all Magic players, don't crack boxes, and then we all turn around and buy boxes to crack anyway. <laughs> I, I think I'm actually just going to get maybe Tarmogoyce. I actually want to see where the box toppers end up. Because what what Tarmogoyce do you have now? Uh, I have the Modern Masters ones. Okay, so I mean, if you go for the normal printing, you shouldn't have to spend too much extra money. Like Card Kingdom already has the new Tarmogoyce at fifty dollars. Maybe you can sell out of your old ones for roughly that price and just swap them. Box toppers—that's another story. Those are going to be a bit more expensive, I think. Yeah, box toppers. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious now because we have the specific card feature on the on the deck editor, and uh, for for funsies, I, I made the most expensive version of Jund, and I forgot what it was. It was ridiculously expensive <laughs> because you know Jund Jund has the best cards, and the best cards usually get weird promos, right? So now we can add in all the box toppers and see what that does to the price. Maybe I'll do that as an experiment after <laughs> to see how expensive I can make Jund. Like, can you uh, buy... What kind of car can you buy for blinged out Jund? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd be interested. I bet it's got to be at least, like, oh, man, three, $4,000. It's got to be Wait, way up three, there. $3,000, $4,000 is, like, the normal price of Jund. <laughs> Isn't Jund, like, 1600 or something? Yeah, 1800 yeah, no, no, no. The, the, more, okay. the most expensive version is way more expensive. I think it was, like... Uh, I'll pull it up later. But I think it was, like, over the 10 k mark, easily. Uh, I guess I wasn't considering. I was thinking, like, oh, you pay twice as much for stuff. But if you're getting, like, Masterpiece Shocklands and Fetchlands, and that's a... You're spending, like, four times as much on each card or something. So, yeah, yeah that, that makes more, sense. Like, Lightning Bolts, which normally cost nothing, suddenly cost a lot. <laughs> like, there are all kinds of promos you can stick into Jund. Better, better question, Richard. If you get the ultimate version of Jund, how many sleeves would you put it in <laughs> to play it in a tournament? Uh, is this... I'm gonna invent the quad sleeve. I, I've seen triple sleeve has anyone i'm just gonna play with you know when when you get the the cards graded and they come in like the super yeah. hard thing i mean hold on i need to randomize my deck <laughs> get like four helpers coming to shuffle <laughs> uh, yeah, at least your cards would be safe but we saw in grand prix vegas people with vintage cards and black lotus don't even treat their cards that well so yeah they're like shuffling they're like mass shuffling and they're like whatever guys <laughs> it's just a black lotus don't worry about it uh, well, probably to most of those people, Black Lotus is like a $5 card that they got 25 years ago on the schoolyard or something. <laughs> so no big deal. Uh, all right, let's move on from the world of Ultimate Masters to some kind of strange, surprising news. So just this morning, an article came out uh, over on Cool Stuff Inc. about artists boycotting Magic Fest. And uh, basically, there's a letter in there signed by uh, 20-ish, maybe 30 artists saying that they're not going to go to Magic Fest in 2019 and hoping that more artists will potentially get on board with this boycott. And uh, did you read this article, Richard? Uh, Are you up on this boycott? So can you tell us why? Like, what is the reason for this boycott from the artists? So... Basically, in the past, uh, artists were treated as, uh, I've got the term used, but like special guests, meaning they're invited to these events and, uh, they're, they're paid to show up, meaning they get paid flights, hotels, uh, you know, tables and things like that. Uh, and now they're being shifted more towards a vendor and vendors are not invited to show up. 
they pay to be there, right? So you have to pay for your table, you get no perks, and the idea is uh, you're running a business and you're gonna make tons of money and here's a fee for using our space. And artists are being pushed into that direction and it appears that artists don't really make that much money from Grand Prix, that this is not really worth it to them, right? Uh, without the you know, without the status of being a guest and having kind of their expenses subsidized by the organizer, that this is not a worthwhile endeavor. And the article seems to say, you know, this has gotten worse over the over the past couple of years. And now we've ended up here where, you know, all the events are handled by one organizer, Channel Fireball. And they're saying this no longer is good enough. And we're going to start boycotting. And if you look at the list of artists, I don't know how many there are here. Maybe 20 of them. They're, they've all yeah, decided to boycott this new Magic Fest thing, which is the exact opposite of what Magic Fest wants, right? Magic Fest was like, we're going to take the tournaments and we're going to add all of these non-tournament aspects to our events, like cosplay, like artists, and to have all these artists suddenly say, uh, sorry guys, we're not coming. Kind of, kind of just goes, kind of screws up the Magic Fest plan there. Yeah, uh, that is very true. It goes against the Magic Fest thing. As far as a list of artists that are currently on the letter as far as boycotting, um, there are quite a few artists, and some of them are fairly well-known artists, but I don't see any of the, like, the very tip-top names. If you think of, like, the names that come up, uh, John Avon types, like the best magic artists or most well-renowned artists in the history of magic, there's not too many or even any of those names that I'm seeing on there. So, uh, what do you think, like, how effective will this be, Richard? Like, do you think this group of uh, definitely people that make awesome art and have art on magic cards, but not like the biggest artist names in the community. Uh, do you think this will have any impact? Or are things going to change because of this boycott? Yeah, I think it makes sense that the biggest artists aren't here because the biggest artists probably are making enough money such that this doesn't matter. If that makes sense, right? Like if you go to a Grand Prix, you'll see that some artists have longer lines than others. And obviously, if you're selling prints left and right throughout the entire weekend and uh, you're one of the biggest names, uh, then it's not, you know, this is not going to be as impactful to you. Uh, but I think for this movement to work, you got to get the big names, right? If if you show up to a Grand Prix and there's no John Avon, I don't know, Therese Nielsen, Noah Bradley, right? It's going to be a much bigger impact if they're missing and they're saying, hey, I'm not showing up because, you know, this isn't fair. So I think they got to get the big artists on board. And maybe the big artists need to take one for the team, I guess. Like, kind of like what Jerry Thompson did for the pros, where, you know, he doesn't... He has to kind of just sacrifice himself to to get the movement going. And maybe that needs to be done. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, artists... Like, one of the best parts about Magic is the art. Like, when you compare to, say, Hearthstone, when you compare to Artifact, right? Like, some of these same artists are creating art in the other games. But the way Magic ties it all together and it's like a focal part of the cards and stuff like it really sets it apart so i i feel like something needs to be done and maybe maybe it's not channel fireball but maybe it's wizards like wizards could help subsidize these artists like i i don't know what it would be but i feel like there needs to be some kind of help right uh because you know people you know people traveling to a grand prix lugging all your stuff around is is not cheap and we we got this ourselves seth but we went to grand prix vegas i thought hey it'd be cool to have a booth to sit in it was crazy expensive <laughs> so what did we do yeah. we just loitered around the free tables and told people <laughs> to come to us right but you know it would be cool if there was like a content creator space where you just show up and everything is free like, I'll pay for my own flight, but you just give me a free table, right? Uh, but, like, a table itself is just so expensive that it just makes it not worth it. And it's a shame, right? Because it's a community gathering, and these halls are booked anyway. And there's a lot of space in the halls. So, you know, having a way for everyone to participate would be good. And the artists couldn't even do what we did at Vegas. Yeah. Like, if you have a, a bunch of prints and cards and all artist proofs and all that stuff, it's not like you can just be like, oh, I'm going to set up on the free tables. That would be that would be a bad idea and a disaster. So artists don't even have that opportunity. Like, we can just kind of wander around and that's fine. But if you're an artist, you can't really do that. And I was mostly just surprised. I, I guess I hadn't realized. I just assumed that 
having artists, because I always see them advertised as part of GPs, like the artists that are going to be there, uh, come to the GP, get your stuff signed by so-and-so and so-and-so. So I always assumed that it was kind of like a marketing expense associated with GPs or Magic Fest. Uh, but the list of stuff that the artists used to get that don't get, uh, paid flights, paid hotel rooms, break rooms, uh, free large tables, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was amazed. I assume, I just assume that artists were at least getting their trip comped, essentially, like their flight and hotel paid for and a free table to sit on, because I think people show up to GPs to see the artists. Like, I think that is a draw. No one, treating them like vendors is just so silly to me, because no one is like, okay, I'm going to go to this GP because uh, whatever, Star City Games, Channel Fireball, name whatever vendor you want is selling cards there. That's not a draw. No one is going because their favorite vendor happens to be selling singles. There's not that big of a difference between one vendor and another. But people do. I had people on Twitter telling me they booked flights to cross-country GPs because a specific artist that they really liked was going to be there and would sign their stuff for them. So, uh, especially with the switch to Magic Fest, I feel like uh, something should be done here because artists are an important part of that. And one idea, and we've mentioned this before, maybe it's time to charge an entry fee. Maybe everyone's got to pay five bucks. We With the Magic Fest uh, idea of just getting people in there, even if they're not playing in the main event just to play side events or hang out and play commander on the free tables or whatever maybe you just got to charge everyone five bucks or something just to get into the room which probably isn't bad with some of the security things that have been talked about uh, in recent months uh, anyway it's probably not bad to uh, have people actually pay to get into the event so what do you think could that be a solution richard just to have some sort of small entry fee and use that to subsidize the artists and this other cool stuff that's going to draw non-tournament players into these events yeah i think five bucks is perfectly reasonable and i i really don't understand like why it's free i know the hope is like some random person off the street like just comes in and sees this but like are they really and are they really going to understand anything like I, i feel that percentage is so low if you just charge five bucks, I think everyone appreciates that. Yes, having a convention center rented out is an expensive thing. And if I want to show up and hang out inside, five bucks seems perfectly reasonable, right? So I feel like charging some small amount to offset the, the cost of this. Now, the question is, Seth, if they charge five dollars, but there is no change in, in what we see as consumers, will there be pitchforks on Reddit? Right? Because yes. the, the change would be, hey, we're paying our artists now. Hey, we're paying our judges now. Right? Not, hey, you get free booster packs or free play mats or something, or we've increased the prize pool. So if they start charging entry fee, but we don't materially see any benefit to us, will there be a riot? And I, I think I agree with you. I think there will be, which is why they're not going to do it. Right? Because... Uh, you know, if they do it, they have to show value back to the users. Uh, but in reality, the value would be going to underpaid artists, underpaid judges, uh, you know, stuff like that, security and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think no magic player is going to not go to a GP because it costs $5. I mean, in all honesty, Magic is an expensive game. Like, you go to a GP, you're buying single cards that cost way more than $5. Any side event, anything you do at a GP <laughs> is gonna, like, that's such an inconsequential amount compared to the amount of money that Magic players spend at GPs that I don't think anyone is gonna not go because of a $5 entry fee. But I think you're right. I hadn't really considered the fact that what you're getting for that $5 might not be apparent enough from the outside that would lead to more problems, actually. So, uh, well, I hope they can figure something out. It adds up, too. I, so $5 doesn't sound like a lot, Seth. But what if I told you it was $20 for four days of GP? Suddenly, that's like, you know, a consequential amount of money. So it's, it's actually yeah, a guess... very interesting thing. Like, if they they could do other things. Like, let's say if you're a tournament player, uh, you have to pay $20 more to enter the hall, but your GP entry is $20 discounted, right? Then that's that's a wash for you. It's fine. And, you know, who who's being charged? People who just want to come in to see artists and to buy list their items or go shopping. And, you know, maybe that's an acceptable expense, right? Because, you know, you are using the facilities. So it's actually very interesting. And I hope they're actually looking at this, though, and, you know, trying to solve it. Because, like, Grand Prix are just getting bigger and bigger. If Magic Fest 
happens the way they want it to happen, it's going to get really large. And can you really support all these free people in this room without, you know, charging them anything? Yeah, and, and the danger is... um that it will just keep getting pushed onto the tournament players, which I I don't think is especially fair. We've already seen a huge increase of prices for just playing in a GP and the cutback of like playmats used to be kind of the standard, but now you got to get the better package a lot of the times to get the playmat and all this stuff. So I think if we're going to see a huge increase in attendance because of Magic Weekends, uh, it's probably more fair to spread that cost around to everyone showing up rather than to just uh, all of a sudden it's $150 to play in a GP or something and passing that whole cost on to the people playing in the main event. So, hmm. All right. Any other artist slash Magic Fest thoughts before we hit our last quick topic before fish mail? Nope. All right. Let's move on to B&R announcement. Today was a B&R day. Uh, you probably realize, since we're not leading with the B&R announcement and throwing it in here at the end, it wasn't very exciting. What happened, Richard? Absolutely nothing. Nothing happened, Seth. <laughs> Did we expect anything to happen? I don't think anyone expected anything to happen. We got nothing. Everything is now- going as planned. <laughs> Not really. I didn't. I. I still. Every BNR, I hold out hope that they're gonna ban some degenerate combo piece in modern. Uh, I don't know. It probably doesn't matter. Every time I say, "Oh, you should probably ban this," then as soon as I say it, I think, "Well, there's also like ten other decks that are just as degenerate." So does banning one piece of one degenerate deck really change anything in modern? Probably not. And we also get another BNR before the Pro Tours come up. So if they do want to shake up modern, I guess maybe that's the most likely time for a modern unbanning or banning. Yeah, you gotta you gotta check Richard's flowchart. Is modern Pro Tour coming up? <laughs> if yes, ban some random cards of modern. If no, business as usual. And no, there is not a modern Pro Tour coming up yet. Uh, there's a BNR, like you said, before the next Pro Tour. So so no changes in modern. Yeah. Uh, as far as standard, some people I see talk about unbanning Rampaging Ferocidon. I feel like that's just people that like the idea of not having any cards banned in standard. <laughs> I don't think there's any like gameplay purpose for unbanning Rampaging Ferocidon at the moment. I feel like once you're banned in standard, you're banned for life. There's no, there's yeah. no re- like even if you are perfectly safe, there's just no way they're gonna risk it or deal with you know all of this. Like, like once you're banned, you're banned. (laughs) Yeah, like, the only thing worse than standard players getting a card banned and losing value on their deck is then six months later, Wizards unbanning that card and just bringing back all those horrible memories about your deck getting banned and you having to go out and rebuy the card that you had to sell because it got banned. That would, that would just be a disaster. So I think, I mean, I think no changes was pretty much expected. There hasn't been any one card that has drawn consistent complaints from the community in any format that I've really seen. So I think no changes, probably a good idea. Also, quick shout out to Standard. Uh, Standard is it's good. It's, I can't believe I'm saying that, but this is probably the best period of standard we've had in at least a couple years. We're pretty far past the set release. We're like halfway between Guilds of Ravnica and our next standard set, Ravnica Allegiances, and the format is still very not broken, and there's a ton of playable decks. Most of the guilds are seeing plays, so uh, well done, Wizards. I'm wondering, do you think this is finally the play design team uh, bearing fruit in standard. Like, do you think that's anything, or did Wizards just stumble into a good standard accidentally? I think Wizards just stumbled into a good standard. Because <laughs> we've always said, we always like, oh, wait, okay, play design team is here now. Oh, wait, they're just getting, they're just getting started. Hold on, you gotta give them a couple sets, and then <laughs> they, they have another problem. It's like, hold on, you know, there was some other influence from five years ago. So, I, I, <laughs> I feel like unless every single standard is rock solid from now, like, I think you just, like, yes, they're doing something, but to attribute any single thing to them is going to be tough, right? Because I, if they were that, I don't know, omniscient, right? Like, you wouldn't have problems with standard. And they're not, right? They're humans. They're going to have mistakes. Uh, so I, I feel like, yes, this is partly them, but it's also part luck as well. It's like magic, right? You got to play to your outs and hope your deck gives you what you want. (laughs) And they did it, and then boom, here we are. But, you know, you may also mull the four next game, so... <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's true. And I still am slightly worried about Teferi come winter set with a bunch more support for the colors that Teferi fits in. Have you been playing standard at all, Richard? I, I, like, what's, I played what's your thoughts zero on the format? zero standard, Seth. I have played zero <sighs> standard. 
Even on Arena? I, well, it's impossible to play on Arena, Seth. I can't I can't grind into a collection <laughs> on on Arena if I'm not playing daily. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. You'd have to, like, shutter the website so you can grind free collection on, <laughs> on Arena. I told you, I, I would test on Magic Online first, <laughs> and then I would buy the... I would start grinding to get the deck on Arena. That's how the economy is at the moment. It does not... It does not make semi-casual players feel good because you just can't you need to invest a lot of time to grind a deck and then you get one deck and one deck only so you got to make that choice really count yeah i have noticed that on moto too every once in a while you'll run into someone and you're like ah, i'm i'm pretty sure that person's playing a, a starter deck from arena on magic on magic <laughs> online and they're they're probably doing exactly what you do testing upgrades <laughs> for their starter deck before they spend their wild cards <laughs> Uh, all right, let's uh, let's answer some fish mail. All right, if you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Real tap water. I think the 12th card problem is bigger than the 5th card problem on Magic Arena. I'm close to having 12 luminous bonds and others. What do you think would be a good <laughs> solution here? Art toggle? Something else? Oh, man. It's only going to get worse uh, as more sets are added if they don't change the system. Toggle's probably an easy one, although it still feels bad that they force you to keep cards that you literally cannot use. So it all they could solve 99% of Arena's problems if they just put dusting in the game. But I, right now, it's not the worst because you're only getting random commons and uncommons. But can you imagine when a couple years down the road, they have another buddy land set or another shock land set and you're, you're forced to keep eight copies of a shock land and not get any value from them because of how the system's set up? That's going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. And yep, reprints kind of suck with this with this system. So hopefully, I don't know when they fix the fifth card problem. Hopefully, they account for the different printings. I don't know. I think probably they'll just they'll create a format where you can take advantage of that. Like only cards that have at least two reprintings is legal. <laughs> Weekend event on Arena. <laughs> oh boy, Alververd. If Baron Singer didn't have to damage creatures, would it be playable? Do you remember what Baron Singer uh, does, Seth? Eight to cast, five, five flying, when a creature... Does it put a negative two, negative two counter on something? No, it's this, it's it's like a Singer vampire, but bigger. When a creature is put in the graveyard the same turn, Baron Singer damaged it, put a plus two, plus two counter on it, and then you tap <laughs> it to regenerate target vampire. Plus two, plus two counters. Magic used to be... <laughs> I never realized they went, they went away from that. So what? Yeah, now you would just be two plus one plus one counters. Yeah. No, I don't think. So if you got rid of creature, so wouldn't that make it worse? Uh, well, wait. I don't think that Baron Sanger would be playable no matter. Maybe if you maybe if you lightning bolt it, it or something, you can give it plus two plus two counters. Maybe that's the question. <laughs> oh, so just like whenever a creature dies, it gets plus two plus two. Okay, that that would make sense. Maybe in Commander, I guess that would be pretty sweet. But I still don't think. That would be a card that would see playing Legacy, or if it was modern legal somehow. Uh, you have stuff like Grizzlebrand that costs the same amount of mana, essentially. So I don't think it would show up in tournament formats, but it would make it more interesting for Commander if it just grew whenever a creature died. I was thinking, like, whenever you take damage, it grows, but then it's literally Death Shadow, except Death Shadow costs one <laughs> and this costs eight. <laughs> how broken is Death Shadow? I don't know how to make the Baron good. The Baron needs... A reprinting, and the Baron needs new abilities. I don't know that you can fix this ability. Uh, unfortunately, it's on the reserve list. It's okay, you just make a new new version. Bar- Baron Reborn. <laughs> <I think it's- laughs> <laughs> is Baron Singer actually on the reserve list? Wow. It is, yeah. Is it expensive? It's only $2. This is one of $2. my favorite cards I- of all time. I should get one before it spikes wildly for no reason. Buy it out, Richard. You can be the Baron Singer guy. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have them all. They'll have to, co- and everyone will have to come to you if they want a copy for their I, commander. You know, deck. you know, people that show up at like EDH tables with like ten decks, and you know, like for new players, they give them all. Oh, you know, try this deck or try this deck. I'm gonna be that guy, but it's like ten Baron Singer decks. Be <laughs> 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 like, I heard you needed a, I heard you needed a commander deck. You're half my bottle black Baron Singer vampire tribal deck. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have to do Baron Singer week on Commander Clash. <laughs> It would be so bad. <laughs> yes, it would. Uh, he, it was so sweet, though. Like, look how much devotion to Black he gives you. Come on. 
Bass von Bassadin. When is the best time to buy Dark Depths and Life from the Loam? They've gone down significantly since the reprints, and UMA were spoiled, and I wondered when the right time to buy them would be. I love your show. Oh, well. Thank you. Uh, so general rule for Ultimate Masters, for these cards, and pretty much most cards, normally, traditionally with Master sets, after like a month to two months-ish after a set releases, that's normally when cards hit their floor and get to their cheapest point. So I'd be targeting uh, like January, basically, as a good month to buy the cards, especially we're going to have spoiler season for a standard set. People are going to focus on that. So I'd be targeting January, but really the prices will probably stay low for up to like six-ish months after the set releases, and then normally we'll see the cards start to increase again so that's kind of the window that i would be looking at to pick up those cards all right autos magic 13 first i love it when episodes hit the hour plus mark don't worry about it going over second what cards would have to be pre-banned to make commander products modern legal Ooh. hmm i actually wrote an article about this at one point it was a long time ago uh, there's a l- Baleful Strix? I'm trying to remember. Baleful Strix is actually one of the cards that I want in, um, in Modern and I think would be okay. The big one I think is True Name Nemesis. I think we would not want in Modern. I think True Name is perfectly fine. Really? Like, what, what does True Name even do? Like, nothing. Uh, like, it's only scary when it's wielding a Jite. <laughs> or like a sword. I guess. So, unless they're unbanning Stoneforge Mystic, I, I would have no problem with your Dirtly 3 one. Huh. Okay. Like, if Jace, is, if Jace is okay, True Name is okay. That's that's my opinion. Because combo decks don't care. They're going to combo over you anyway. And people will fly over True Name. And without some game-breaking equipment, it's just getting hit for three every turn or an invincible blocker, which isn't that bad. What about Teferi's Protection, your favorite, Richard? That's like a terrible card in modern, isn't it? <laughs> would, 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 we, would we actually oh, play it? You just wait till they grape shot you and then you're like, haha. <laughs> and then they're like, gotcha. Swan Song or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Toxic Deluge. Is that too good for modern? Ooh, that might... That might be too good. That's pretty good. It's close. It's close, at least. It's close, but I think it's still fair. Is there any, like, absurdly unfair card or some combo enabler? Mmm... <sighs> there... <sighs> no? Not off the top of my head. There's nothing... I always thought True Name was, like, the top of the list as far as cards I would not want in Modern. I mean, True Name is fine. I'll, I'll, you know, Liliana's still a card and people can play. I'm trying to see... Toxic Deluge, because it's unbanned, too. <laughs> I swear I wrote an article about this, but I, I've written too many articles. I can't even find it. I wanted to see what the, what my conclusions were when I wrote it, but. <laughs> All right, I actually next think Gamble Strix is actually pretty strong. Maybe too strong. Hmm. It's an artifact. It blocks. It draws you a card. It kills anything. <laughs> like, it's actually really I just, good. I really want Tezzeret to be playable. That's, I love Tezzeret and it's never quite been good enough for modern. So I would like Baleful Strikes just because we might actually get a real Tezzerator deck in modern. Just need to print another Mox Opal. <laughs> Ooh, what about like Kess? What about the cards that show up in Legacy? I'm thinking like Kess Dissonant Mage, Fiery Confluence is another one that shows up sometimes. Kess seems Maybe those strong. cards are just fine. Yeah, I don't know. Kess seems pretty hmm. strong. I feel yeah, Kess is definitely, definitely powerful. Do this. It would up the power level of modern a bit, but I don't know that it'd be like too crazy. And it would certainly give people a reason to buy these sets now because modern is much that, more popular it, than legacy or vintage. I hope we get there. I hope we see new cards printed into modern. That would make me so happy. All right, Sergio Apathinair. What do you think about eternal format without the reserve list? <sighs> we tried this. <laughs> No reserve list legacy. We actually, we actually tried to make this happen, or I did, along with uh, Chaz, our former podcast host. We we kind of tried to make this happen like two or three years ago. It caught on to the extent where there were like some local tournaments of it, but then it just kind of kind of fizzled away. I think modern got cheaper because of some reprints, and everyone started playing modern again. So. On paper, it's not a bad idea. The format is very close to Legacy, even without the reserve list, because apart from the dual lands, honestly, most of the reserve list cards are not Legacy playable. There's a few exceptions, like Lion's Eye Diamond, but for the most part, you don't really lose much. <sighs> I don't know. I, I just, I've tried it and it didn't catch on, so I don't have high hopes of it happening, but it seems like a good idea on paper. I, I think it's, it's all the problems of the old formats without any of the appeal 
So like you, you still have cards that are hard to get because they're just super old, but you don't have the, the pleasure of playing with the iconic cards in Magic's history. So it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, and Jerkson, looking at using a burn deck as my first modern deck, what would you suggest as a mana base while I build up expensive fetches? Do you think Naya is the way to go for modern burn? Um, if you are starting with a semi-budget mana base, I would probably just go straight Boros, honestly. I think a lot of times the optimal build is Naya, but that's mostly just so you can have Destructive Revelry in your sideboard, which uh, is a pretty good option. But you can get by with Wear and Tear as your artifact slash enchantment hate. So I would probably start off with just straightforward Boros. I would play Fast Lands and maybe... Hmm, I guess maybe the check land as your secondary dual land, and then just have most of your lands be basic mountains. All right, Kid Panama, I'm listening to your last episode and imagining the earliest goldfish videos that start with, hello, it's Richard, probably better known as Tuna Black. How's Tuna Black as a nickname? Uh, fine. Uh, who's, who's the big tuna? Do you, do you know who I'm talking about, Seth? He, he was uh, like a coach in the NFL. Who was oh, it? Yes, uh... Bill Parcells, oh, Bill Cowboys. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, who is? Am I, am I <laughs> the big tuna? The big tuna black. That's that's my new uh, that's my new name. I, I that's that's not that's not bad. That's not, <laughs> that's bad. not bad. We might be able to do better. We, we got it. We gotta go color and fish. <laughs> <laughs> Fractured fish. What's been your favorite themes on Commander Clash? I personally love it when you played wedge colored dragons. And since each color is getting its own week, have you thought about doing the same for all color combinations? Ooh, that could be something that we could do slowly. I think it would take a while to get through all the color combinations. Uh, I think my favorite weeks personally have been some of our weird theme weeks like Feldegriff week and Sliver week. Those games are just so, they're just so absurd. I wouldn't want to do it every week, but the few times we've done it, it's been really unique and fun games. Sliver week was actually pretty fun. (laughs) And it's just pretty fun imagining trying to do it in paper <laughs> where every turn you gotta like count up everything and try to count everything it'd be so ridiculous uh, but I don't know I like, I like most of our themes it's less so the themes than the decks that show up I like it when all four decks get to do their thing and then you know who's gonna win the game is not clear like every turn you think someone else is gonna win and then it finally ends I think those are the best clashes uh, Oliver Nerd, I've been trying to work a black-green aggro commander with Dire Fleet Ravager as my main mythic. Any suggestions for good cards when it comes to support pirates and wizards? Ooh. Hmm. Dire Fleet Ravager. Dire Fleet Ravager. Wait, this, is this a... So, Dire Fleet Ravager, 5 mana 4 for Menace Death Touch. When it enters a battlefield, each player loses a a third of his or her life rounded up. So this... It's a mythic that no one's ever played. <laughs> this is a commander deck. Huh. I would say it's a little... It's a little risky to build around a non-commander card. That's been my experience with commander decks, uh, because I guess you can play a bunch of tutors since you're in black to try to find it, but it's usually challenging to build around a card in your 99. I might... If I want to build around Dire Fleet Daredevil uh, type effect, I think ways to, like... Uh, double up the damage seem interesting. Kind of stuff you would see with like Heartless, Hidesagu, uh, those type of effects. Wound Reflection, uh, the Demon from Battle Bond, where you're like maximizing the life loss. Yeah. I, I think since you want to do black green, right? Virtus, Virtus and Gorm, uh, which Seth played recently, which is coming in an upcoming Commander Clash, <laughs> has a similar effect. Where when you hit someone, they lose half their life. Uh, so that really plays well with Dire Fleet Ravager, because they're, they're both the same effect, and then you can play cards that double up the damage. So uh, instead of losing a third of the life, they lose two-sixths of their life. Yeah, seems like a good plan. Uh, next question. ST Kelly 82 what's the best modern deck one can build if you're building from nothing and buying heavily from Ultimate Masters? Oh, man. Well... I'm kind of working on an article about this. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the answer yet. I, if I'm going to just in the dark make a guess, probably <sighs> Dredge, maybe? There's a lot of Dredge reprints in the set. 
Life from the Loam is one of the big ones. Uh, Bloodgast was reprinted not that long ago. A bunch of the Dredgers, Narcomoeba. So it might just be Dredge, but I'm going to research this, and I, I will know more next week after I do the research. All right, pretty dude. You were talking about giving out full sets away as tournament prizes. Final Fantasy TCG gives away full sets in foil or unfoil to top players and staff slash judges at major tournaments. That's sweet. Huh. I, I still I still think free promos. I, like, didn't they used to do that with judge promos before they moved to the exemplar program, or no? Was it always just been select judges that get this stuff? I think judges did get essentially paid in judge promos for a while. That's uh, that's what I remember, at least. Oh, yeah, that's not good. They should do both. <laughs> they should pay the judges and then give them promos on top of that. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Pierce, 91. You guys talk about how Artifact is going to fit into the CCG market, but no one mentioned Gwent. Do you think it can ever eke out more market share, especially with console slash PC crossplay? I am not super familiar with Gwent. I have heard uh, people talking about it, but I've never played it, and I don't know much about it. Do you know much about Gwent, Richard? Have you played it? I know it? nothing about Gwent. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. But apparently hmm. it's popular. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. We're going to, I guess, Artifact releases this week. We're, we're going to find out how the the card game space is going to shape up. And I, I think Twitch is going to be where you're going to see it the most. We'll, we'll see who wins the Twitch uh, market share because Magic's been doing really well. Wizards has been really pouring resources into promoting Magic. So Magic has been up there battling it with Hearthstone. So we'll see what Artifact does to this. It'll be interesting too because then uh, the week after is the big organized play announcement, which most people assume will involve Twitch and Arena. So uh, it's going to be an interesting month as far as Twitch and gaming and Arena and Artifact. I'll be excited to see what happens. All right. Basement Shop Basement Space Shop, you mentioned that a prize for tournaments could be play sets of new sets. Pokemon used to give top four booster boxes for every set up to the next championship to help them get the collection to compete again. Would Watsy ever hmm. do this? Uh, maybe? Speaking <laughs> of esports, I feel like this would be the prize, or part of the prize at least, for the arena, whatever it is. So when you win their new esports thing, I feel like you would get a full play set of standards so that you could go compete in Grand Prix at the Pro Tour. Oh, oh, you mean in paper? In paper, okay. in paper. Uh, Arena, okay. I assume. I was going to say, by, my, vault pri- my vault, Richard, does not need <laughs> a, another complete set going into it. The winner of the Magic Arena <laughs> esports tournament gets 1,000% vault progress. <laughs> Congratulations. Which is 10, 10 Mythic Wild Cards. <laughs> have, a, have a wonderful week. Congrats. But I do like the idea of if you win some event, you get free product throughout the next season so you can keep competing. I mean, they have complete sets that they already use for redemption from Magic Online. So it's something they could do. Wizards has access to all those complete sets. So it could be like, here, here's a play set of all of Standard. Uh, now you can play paper events. It seems like a reasonable idea. Yep. All right. Lol Gold Steel. Where do you guys look for cards when building EDH decks? I've been using EDH rec, but I find they use a lot of the same cards in every deck. Looking for ones that don't see as much play. Ooh. I primarily use EDH rec as far as uh, websites as well. And then otherwise, just like doing random card searches based on the theme or the deck or whatever on Magic Online or uh, Gatherer, Scryfall, places like that. Yeah. I, so I use EDH rec, but I, I see what the commenter is hinting at. Like, it's hard to get cards that you don't know are good to, to try out. And I think the best source of that is from other players. Like, when, when we play Commander Clash and someone plays a really sweet card, I try to remember it for next time. Cards like, I don't know, like Tom's favorite card, Spawntrith or Skullwinder, things like that that I, I normally don't play, but when I see someone else play, I'm like, wow, they're really cool. And then I try to put it in my deck, but I never remember. <laughs> another another cool option is to like browse through the user-submitted decks on Goldfish, because you'll see a lot of people that you just their builds playing their favorite cards. So that's kind of a neat way to find uh, cards that might not be the most viable, but just uh, find cards that people like individually so that's another possibility too variant human what is the worst deck that you spent the most time and resources uh trying to get working oh man (laughs) i actually don't know i know there's 
a fairly long list of failed budget magic decks that I have worked on multiple times and never gotten to a point where I could make videos of them. But it's been a while since I've had one that has been that bad. So I, I actually don't remember what the worst is. Skeletons? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time. So when my EDH decks get to be two, three, and four colors, four colors is an absolute nightmare. I spend so much time cutting cards. Like, I, I, I finished building my deck and it's 250 cards. And I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> yeah. And then I have to cut everything, and it's so difficult for me to cut cards. So sometimes I spend a disproportionate amount of time building EDH decks. And then I, I go in to get, like, killed instantly or stacks out of the game. I'm like, huh, that is unfortunate. <laughs> and then I never get to play the deck again, so it's, like, a little sad. So I, I don't know. It's just hard for me to build. The, the bigger... the the more colors you have, the harder it is for me to build because so many cards can go in. There's so many sweet cards I want to try. And then you just end up cutting everything. Uh, last question. SSJ Goomba, with the rise of White Weenie and Red Decks in Standard, do you think it's finally time to bust out Turbo Fog? Are there <laughs> too many archetypes of Standard to account for when trying to fog people out? Uh, I mean, Turbo Fog seems like... It doesn't line up that well against Jessica Control, I guess, but most of the other decks are looking to beat down with creatures, although it's a little scary. With decks like Is It Drake's, it feels like you can just never tap out, or you're just going to get surprised one shot, uh, shot out of nowhere. So I feel like Turbo Fog is probably a medium choice and has some really good matchups. I think also losing the second two-mana Fog at rotation hurts the deck a little bit more than you'd think, because now you only have one fog that works with a play to fairy, untap two lands, cast your fog. So I feel like that makes it a little bit worse, and it's probably a bigger deal than it looks like on paper. All right, that's all our questions this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mdgfishmail. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 199 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. And one last thanks to our sponsor, SpiceAcademy.com. Check them out. Get 10% off with the cold goldfish. So that's all for this week, everyone. We will be back next week to talk more magic. Until then, have a great week. And this is the crew signing out. <laughs> <laughs>